0: On this episode of the Unfiltered Goals Podcast, we're going to talk about communication in a relationship. It's a fun one. Welcome back, everybody. Episode seven, and we did miss a week. We did. We apologize. There's a little bit to talk about there where I got super, super busy with work, new projects coming in. Also trying to to hire another engineer. But then also one of my good buddies had a bachelor party, so we traveled. And by the time I got back, I was exhausted. Plus, we just were not prepared to record. So we appreciate you being patient with us as we skip the week. We know and we heard from some of our fans out there that they... (laughs) They really missed hearing us, so we appreciate that you did miss us. Well,
1: and I think it's important, too, to note that, like, we don't want to half-ass anything. And so, yeah, if we didn't have, like, real meaningful content to give to you guys, we would rather just not give it at all. And so hopefully you guys paid attention to our Instagram and our stories, and we were uplo- we were uploading just brief little Snippets of the last six episodes, giving people, you know, a chance to catch up that may not have been able to listen to them. And now we're back.
0: We are back. Oh my God. Boone has his head into the couch and doing a dance move I've never seen before. I honestly wish we were video recording this, but that was, that was wild.
1: That was the dog version of twerking, is what that was. <laughs> I wish you guys could honestly see. Like, the dogs lay around super lazy all day long, and then we sit at the table in front of these microphones, and they go ballistic. It's, like, so irritating. Like, they've had all day to do whatever they want and to play and drop bones and to do all the things, but no, they choose to do it exactly when we start recording the podcast. It's just really great.
0: Yeah. It's uh, it's basically a full-time job for them at this point.
1: I know, right? They're like, oh, mom and dad are doing it. It's time to, it's time to do it. Let's go. And now Boone's just eating things from the couch. So nice. we're doing great over here. It's fine. All right. What are we talking about today?
0: Well, first, what are Cole and Gouda drinking? Yeah.
1: Well, I am drinking. Can anybody guess? <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Obviously, I'm drinking Ash and Elm. I'm drinking their Juniper Lime cider, which was their cider of the month for January. I wasn't able to get it on time like I normally do, so I'm kind of drinking it past when it came out, but that's okay. It's still great.
0: Nice. And I'm drinking seltzer water. <laughs> it's because I have more work to do later tonight and I just yeah, I don't We also have been drinking like a lot more frequently and yeah, I want to tone it back, but I I do want to have a glass of whiskey, but I need to do some work, so it's just not a good idea.
1: Well, I think most people would be surprised to hear this fact, but Josh and I don't really drink during the week, and so when I tell people that, they're like, "That's not true," and I'm like, "No, but that really is true," and that's why like we treat ourselves on the weekends, and like we go to our favorite restaurants that have our favorite drinks or whatever the case may be. It's like a rare occasion that we will drink during the week,
0: so. It really is. And yeah, we were we were talking about that. People just like straight up didn't believe us. But it's you know, sometimes we can we can have a good time on the weekends, but yeah, we like to mostly keep it to the weekends and typically we're recording on like a Friday, so like us drinking is you know, there's no more work to be done. So Yeah. So let's get into the the subject matter at hand. Talking about communication and I wrote down in my notes communication when Communicate. Oh boy.
1: That's. Try that again.
0: <laughs> I swear I'm drinking seltzer water. Communicating when you communicate differently. That's definitely not going to be the title, but that's more or less the theme, I think, of this episode. We want to talk about today how when your, we're going to speak to it, love language, your communication style in a relationship, what it can do to the relationship. What is it, you know, how do you resolve arguments? How do you just go about conflict in general? Like, what, what do you do? And we want to talk about its importance today. I wish we had a guest today to like, or another couple to talk to about. But let us know on Instagram what you, what you get out of this episode. And maybe if you've had your own experiences when it comes to difficulties when communicating in a relationship. So let's start with love languages.
1: I, I think when we first met, I probably would have told anybody that was willing to listen that, like, I didn't see a whole lot of, like, differences between the two of us when we first met. But then, like, as we progressed into being in a relationship, I it was hard for me to pick out the similarities. <laughs> I would say as people, you and I are very different people, mm. just like I mean, everything from you are a very analytical person I am not. I'm an emotional person. Our careers are very different. They play to our strengths, you know, all the things. I wouldn't consider us to be opposites, but I don't think that, I think personality wise, we have a lot of similarities, right? We're both pretty laid back, pretty easygoing, you know, we're able to like adjust and go with the flow, but we can also be kind of hard headed and stubborn and things like that. So, like, I think personality wise, we've got similarities. But overall, especially when it came to like our love languages and our communication styles, I feel like we could not be any more different.
0: I definitely agree with that. I, well, it's like any relationship, you know, you start, you start peeling back the layers and you start to see someone for who they really are. You know, like there's the initial attraction and then there's the oh, I play tennis too, like those right. types of things. Mm-hmm. And then you realize like, oh, yeah, he's an engineer and he's going to think through everything mm-hmm. analytically. She's a social worker, so she's going to think about feelings and what the brain is doing. So, yeah, it's different. And, you know, I think pretty much everybody experiences this unless you're having a surface-level relationship. And in that case, let's have a conversation. Because <laughs> right. I don't know if that's, that's great. But it's, yeah, it's a natural part of, you know, growing with someone and and being in a relationship for, for a longer period of time. So going off that topic of love languages, when did you realize my love language was different from yours?
1: Basically, as soon as I met you, I was like... <laughs>
0: Well, that's not true. No, it's
1: not true. But I would say that like once we I wouldn't say like on the first date you were all over me or anything like that. If anything, it was the opposite. So I probably gave you the like impression that like physical touch was super high up on my list because I, you know, listen back to a few episodes. I started making out with you first, like all of these things. Right. But I would say it was probably, I don't know, like a few dates in when you started feeling more comfortable with me is I feel like when your love language came like spewing out of you. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. Because I want to make things very clear here, people. When it comes to the five love languages and like, I yes, I've read the book, I've taken the test, I've done all the things, right? Gifts and physical touch are like dead even tied for last on my list. And this is remember because, I think what people forget about the love languages is, like, this very important thing. You yourself have a love language that you love to receive, and then Mm. there are love languages that you love to give. So, Mm. like, for me, gifts is something very high on my list when I feel like I'm trying to show someone else that I love them Mm. because I try really hard to, like, find the most The best gift that's, like, super sentimental and would really mean a lot to them, it's not because I want to spend a lot of money on them or anything like that, but, like, I love buying gifts for people. I love thinking, what would this person love? And, like, having that kind of inspire me to, like, get them the perfect gift. But, like, gifts are not something that's super important for me, for myself to receive. So, like, I think that's important to remember is, like, our love languages can look different. Just because I receive love this way doesn't mean that I necessarily give love this way. Mm-hmm. But I would say that physical touch is pretty low on the list for me for both.
0: Go ahead and describe what what are you... So you like to give gifts, but what do you like to receive?
1: So my love, my top two love languages that I like, the way I feel love as a person are acts of service and words of affirmation. And I would much prefer someone take the time to write me a handwritten letter versus buying me a necklace or something like that. That's sort of sure. a weird example, but no, that's good yeah, example. I would, I would much prefer someone see something that like I normally do around the house. And instead of being like, Hey, are you going to do that sometime soon? Just like without even me having to ask them, go do it themselves. Right. Like take something off my plate. And so those were like, not super surprising when I took the test. I was like, yeah, that kind of that kind of checks out, kind of, you mm-hmm. know. And so I feel like I don't know if I displayed those to you, like, super early on. So I'm curious, like, what you asked me, if you kind of got a gist of what my love languages were when you first met me or, like, how long it t- took. And then if you haven't figured out, out already what Josh's love language is, he pretty much just has one. Hush now. <laughs> you know I'm right, so. It didn't,
0: you know, I... I feel like it was maybe, I don't know, it could have been like a month or so into our relationship. You know, having been on several dates and and having talked to you a lot more, I quickly learned that acts of service was a, a love language for you and that I think that was actually quite easy to show you because of our like dynamic of our relationship because I ended up having to live with you kind of like earlier on in our relationship because I lived a whole hour and change away so I had to you know learn that it was important to Nicole to you know take out the trash cook dinner don't even like ask her just do it and and that would mean a lot to her and and honestly I know you make fun of me because yes my love language to receive is absolutely physical touch (laughs) I feel the most amount of love when I'm like, yeah, in some way, shape, or form, hugs, kisses, sex, whatever. I do love to give acts of service. I'm not a huge, I, I'm i not, a, like, a gifty. Mm-mm. I don't think that's a We're definitely a not
1: a gift couple. Yeah. yeah.
0: I uh, I do love to give you acts of service. So, like, that dynamic kind of works out really, really well for us. But, uh, and, like, definitely words of affirmation are up in, in terms of receiving, it's not it's not as high as physical touch but it is it's up there like as as far as receiving goes i feel like that became a point of of conflict in our relationship when we discovered that my highest priority was receiving physical touch and yours was
1: not. And that was my lowest. I was going to ask, did you ever take the test like back in the day to like
0: actually rank your love languages? Like I I probably did on the internet. Like, you know, they always had those like quizzes and stuff. I'm I'm sure I did. I don't know if I ever did like an official one or anything like that.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think it's so funny too, like over the years talking to people, like when love languages became like a really big deal and everyone was learning about theirs like all the way till now where it's kind of like gone away a little bit. I still think it's something that's really important, especially, I mean, I think it's important to know just for yourself, for your friendships, but like absolutely with your romantic partner. Mm -hmm. I would recommend anybody who, I mean, I highly doubt you guys don't know what I'm talking about, but if you don't, go figure it out because it's important. It gives you a chance to understand yourself and how, you know, like where you rank on like what's important to you and what's not, but also like how the people in your life can best love you and how you can best love the people in your life. And I just think it's really valuable information to know. So, like, when I took the test, it was acts of service was one, words of affirmation was two, quality time was three, and then gifts and physical touch came nowhere near to the other three. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's, you know, I think I probably could have predicted that about myself. I'm not a very, like, touchy person unless I've had a few drinks in me typically. But I – it was important for me to know. So, yeah, I was just curious if you ever actually, like, officially took
0: the test or anything. No, I think it's just obvious because you put drinks in me, I become more touchy.
1: Well, and I think, too, I don't know a woman that I've talked to that has a male partner that like physical touch isn't at least one or two for them. You know, yeah, men are much more, which is so interesting because I think that like people associate physical touch with emotions and like being mushy gushy and whatever. But like it's that's why it's literally says physical touch, because it doesn't doesn't mean there has to be any kind of emotional connection. Mm-hmm. I mean, more often than not, there is. But I don't know very many men who wouldn't have physical touch as one of their top two.
0: Yeah, I would say it's it's rare. I've I've met a very small number of females in my life where physical touch was a priority. Yeah, so. for sure.
1: So I mean, I think moving into our first few kind of like conflicts as our as our relationship progressed, it it took it was a learning curve. I would say I would say it's still a learning curve. Like I think a lot of people that know us. Maybe not our best friends because they've seen us like physically, not physically fight, but like they've seen us actually fight or they know we're mad at each other because like we will confide in them. But I think most people who just like have a surface level relationship with us would probably assume that we don't really get into many fights because I don't know. I just think that like we we don't fight often. Hmm. And I think I used to be like, oh, no, we're bickering like this is a huge problem. But every time we bicker, every time we have some sort of disagreement or argument, I know it is always giving us another stepping stone up towards like becoming the best versions of ourselves and of like our relationship. And so it's not like I take it as a challenge, but it's more like, a you know, a life lesson, a learning lesson. I know that I'm incredibly stubborn and that makes me a really shitty person to fight with because that means in my head I'm never wrong. But I think that, like, you have found a way to communicate with me in, like, a way where, like, my stubbornness gets kind of broken down. It wasn't like that at the beginning. Right. But, like, you know, early on when we would be arguing, you would want to come sit next to me or, like, hold my hand or hug me and I just wanted you to, like, get away from me because I needed space. And that was, like, something that very much – went against who you are as a person, how you communicate, how you want to solve any kind of disagreement. And, you know, I think that that was a really hard thing for us to kind of get past mm-hmm. because when we're angry as individuals, we need very, very different things.
0: Yeah. It's a, that's a good segue into the, the conversation around just dealing with disagreements or arguments in general. I'm, I am the analytical type. I want to look and see what is it? That's wrong. What do we need to do right now to to solve it? And then okay, let's let's move on. That does not work for Miss Stubborn over here.
1: And Miss Emotional. So when <laughs> I am upset about something, I I mean I know people are always like it's it's become like a taboo phrase nowadays or whatever that like someone's in their feelings. Thanks a lot, Drake, for ruining that for us. But it's true. Like when I am feeling emotional or I'm feeling really any kind of emotion, I need to just, like, be left alone in my feelings for a hot second. If that means that, like, he needs to physically get out of the room, that's usually what that means. Like, go do your thing for a little bit. I need time to process what's going on in my brain right now before I escalate and make things worse. Because, unfortunately, we've had a few incidents where, like, he hasn't respected that, like, I need to be left alone and he can't fix the problem right then and there. And so when I feel like I'm being backed into a corner... I can get very hostile and, like, a really hard person to deal with. And I know that about myself, which is why, like, it was really important for me to communicate to him. I know how frustrating this is for you in this moment because you want to solve things and you want to know, like, what did I do something wrong? Is something else going on? Like, let's talk about it. But for, you know, someone who is not analytical and is very emotional at times... I need to just process through my own feelings. Like sometimes I don't even know why I'm angry or sad or anxious and I need to be left alone to kind of process my own emotions because I don't even understand them. So like how am I going to explain them to you if I don't even understand them yet? And that's usually what that time is like. And it could be anywhere from five minutes to three hours to, you
0: know, a whole night. Yeah, it's been a night. It's never gone past like a night, I don't think ever, to where it's like, you know, we needed to be in separate spaces. I
1: would like to debunk the whole lot of boomers. If they listen, they're going to be really upset with me. And if anyone gives me this advice at our wedding, I might just walk up and smack them. But the whole saying that don't go to bed angry is total bullshit. I think what people mean is like you know actually no i don't know what people mean because my head goes to like oh well you never know what if your person doesn't wake up the next morning and that's the last interaction you have with them but like there have been times where you and i have just had to gone to like go to bed angry because neither one of us were in a clear headspace we were both tired maybe we were drunk maybe we were whatever and like we're not gonna get Have you ever tried arguing with a drunk person? It's like arguing with a wall. You're never going to get anywhere. Have you tried arguing with like a super stressed out, anxious person? Same kind of thing. Like sometimes it is so unbelievably necessary to take that whole night, sleep it off like you'll feel less anxious, you'll be sober in the morning, whatever the case may be, and then you guys can have a rational conversation.
0: I don't want to speak for for everybody, but I think the intent behind that saying is like, yeah, don't don't let it like don't let something like bother you for a needlessly long time, maybe is the intent. There probably is something there about like, yeah, what if you didn't wake up? Like, yeah, sure. Uh, That's obviously bad. But you're right. There's there's a time and a place to resolve conflict, especially when you're angry with one another. You can't really thoughtfully address the problem when you both are fuming.
1: Yeah. Like when you're seeing red, you're not making any kind of sense. And so how are you ever going to be able to have like a mature, rational conversation when you're seeing red like that? It's just it's it's impossible. And I feel like that saying is really, really naive. And like people who say that saying just either they have marriages where they don't fight, which I don't think are very healthy marriages. Or, I don't know, someone a long time ago told them that and that's the only thing that they've tried to work on in their marriage. But I don't believe that at all.
0: I want to actually address what you just said just just there. People that are in relationships that don't fight. I think that is so looking at my childhood, I feel like my parents argued more than most but again, I just had like one point of view. So I don't really know if they argued more than other parents. But when I saw my parents argue, I was like, I don't want to be that. I want to be in a relationship where you're happy, go lucky, and fights just didn't happen. And, and obviously, as I got older, I realized like that's just not, it's never going to happen. You're You're putting two individuals who more often are not, are different, they have different brains, they think different ways, and you're just going to have fights naturally. Where I, I do think, though, how that affected me early on in our relationship is that I was, you know, having come from, from a relationship I was in for a very, very long time, and I was afraid to make her upset, I definitely think I brought that, I carried that over into our relationship, whereas I thought, if I make her angry with a fight, she's going to leave me. Like, that, that was my thinking at the time, and it was healthy, for us to go to couples therapy and I in in individual therapy and I quickly realized like how it is healthy to have good conflict and arguments in the relationship you know whether that's about you know finances or whether that's about something silly about doing something dumb out in public or you know like whatever it might be it's good to have those those arguments it's like anything like the only time you grow is by fixing your mistakes, so whether you're at fault or you're not, you need a partner that pushes you and drives you to be better and so sometimes that comes in the form of arguments and i I realized that as we as we went to therapy and I went to therapy and were sort of recovered from from that that yeah. long relationship
1: and like i you know, I walked into our relationship with my own past trauma, right? Like I thought that every argument was going to end in you putting your hands on me because that's what I had experienced. And so it was one of those situations where it was like, yeah, we had to figure things out. Like I'm not trying to put my dukes up every time we argue. And like, obviously that's super unhealthy and super toxic. And I would say that like, we're not giving you permission to go like pick fights with your partner but i think that there's always a fine line you have to find that line and you have to make sure that you guys don't cross it and i think that like obviously physical stuff is completely not okay but like there shouldn't you guys shouldn't be fighting constantly if you fight more than you don't fight that's a problem but i think too there's a huge problem with avoiding anything and everything because you're scared to fight or you're scared to have an argument or a disagreement Because, yeah, you're worried the person's going to – I mean, if you're in an unhealthy, abusive relationship, I know how you feel. And even Josh was in his own version of that. It looked different than mine, but, like, he was afraid of someone leaving him, and so he kept his mouth shut. And I think that's really unhealthy as well. So it's just like what we've always talked about on most of our episodes, everything in moderation. And that
0: includes fighting. That's that's really the the motto of the show. Yeah. I mean,
1: all disagreements should be in moderation. Like if you're fighting every single day, I think that there's a problem and you guys need to figure out like why these fights keep coming up and you never fight ever and it's like you're walking on eggshells around each other because you're not speaking about all these issues that's another huge problem and you're not going to live in a happy happy relationship, a happy marriage if you're on either one of those two extremes.
0: Yeah, for sure.
1: And just to plug this so I, you know, don't feel bad about myself afterwards, if you are in like an unhealthy abusive relationship, just know there are people and there are resources out there resources out there for you to get help and like I know how scary it can be to leave a situation like that but you're going to be better off in the end and there are people out there that are waiting and willing to help
0: so i was just going to add to that you you are not the only one that for lack of a better phrase gets your way because your communication style is such a way i wanted to just point out that i've learned in couples therapy and through us talking that it's important to leave Cole alone when she's when she's angry upset. I always I always ask, is there anything I can do you know and ask that question if there's nothing, just just you know I need space. I, I give her that space. But the times too where I've been upset, I just want to recognize that that you have given me that reassurance because you know how hard it is for me to deal with that, where it's like, okay, I don't know what's wrong and I don't know if I did anything but I'm just going to sit in my thoughts if I'm sitting in the other room or whatever. I'm just going to sit in those thoughts. And you've you've addressed that for me to where it's like, honey, it's not you. I just got something going on. Like, And that, that has been super helpful. So I think, yeah, just really the point that we want to drive home is that I think vulnerability is the best thing for your relationship without telling each other that like, hey, I need space or hey, I really, really like to solve problems. And I get anxious about not solving them, being in that vulnerable state with a person that you're with and especially if you're early on in your relationship. it's so important to establish that line of communication because it's just gonna help you grow as a couple together. You understand you know while you're not in that person's head, you can understand sort of like okay this is this is the pattern that they they go to when they're you know when they encounter anxiety or whatever it might be so it's it's understanding your partner and you have to you have to you know it goes both ways you have to be vulnerable with them and so that actually like leads me to to one topic that I wanted to address when it comes to love languages, and it's what if that love language becomes a problem in your relationship so we've experienced it definitely it's you know it's gotten obviously way better because of therapy and we've talked about it a lot more but you know what happened in our relationship with you know your Love language for physical touch was at the very, very bottom and mine was at the top. And so that ended up me getting in a headspace of like, oh, she just doesn't think about me the same way that I think about her. Or I got in my own head about I wasn't enough. I wasn't attractive. I, you know, how did that, how did you feel that impacted our relationship? And like, what do you, what do you think we did about it that, that worked the best
1: I think for a long time where I was getting frustrated was like I felt I was making an effort to be more like physical with you. And I want to make it very clear to people like this is where Josh and I is like this is where we weren't seeing eye to eye. Because in my head, I was imagining that when Josh thinks of physical touch, he thinks of sex or some sort of sexual act, right? Love languages, I just don't promote any kind of extreme like in any in any part of my life at all ever. I think extremes can be very, very dangerous and like extreme good, extreme bad, whatever. If it's on the extreme end of the scale, I think it can get people into trouble. And so I think that when people look at love languages, so like I'm gonna use this as an example. I knew somebody who was being taken advantage of because this person made them, like, believe that their love language was gifts. So this, you know, person who was very kind of naive and just, like, wanted to be loved was buying this person all of this stuff because in their head they're like, oh my gosh, this person, they feel loved by receiving gifts, so... I have to buy them all these things and they lost all their money. And like, this is a true story. And I had to sit down with this person and have a conversation about just because someone's love language is gifts does not mean that means physical gifts or expensive gifts. It could be a gift of your time or it could be a gift of, oh, I'm going to go ahead and all of the love languages kind of seep into one another. Like, and I think that's important to recognize because If you think of the love languages as an extreme, then you can take advantage of basically anybody because then Josh would be looking at me and saying, you need to have sex with me all the time because that's my love language. Mm -hmm. But like I was, I, in my head, I'm like physical touch could mean me scratching his head while, you know, he's laying on me and watching a movie or me holding his hand out in public, which is like something that literally used to make my skin crawl. And, or it could be, you know, like, Randomly giving them a really short kiss on the cheek at a restaurant. Things that people are probably shaking their heads just being like, oh, my gosh, Nicole. Because these things, like, these were th- very hard things for me to do and, like, do consistently. It just doesn't come natural to me to do these kinds of things. And so I think that I was getting really frustrated because I was like, I am doing all of these little things But it's not good enough for you because you see the love language of physical touch as sex or oral sex or making out or whatever, instead of like all of the plethora of things that actually means. And that's a conversation that we had to have several times in therapy, out of therapy. But like there was that huge disconnect, I think, that we were having, which made this like a huge battle for us. Yeah. What's your perspective?
0: Well, yeah, I would just, I would just say that we we did have the conversation multiple times, and it, yeah, it, I think there's just there's a myriad of reasons, all of which we probably can't get into. But like, why physical touch like became sex and like so valuable to me is like that's what happened in that six year relationship. Like it was it was used as manipulation. Like it's whole whole conversation. But I will say. Cole mentioned that we talked about it multiple times in therapy out of therapy. That is the important part is like not giving up on your partner and like sure you were frustrated but like it took me a minute to figure out, okay, it's super, super valuable to get that kiss at the restaurant or you holding my hand across the street because this is something Gold just does not do. So it's, it's a combination of recognizing the value in the the effort someone is putting into this love language and seeing it for what it is and then putting that on the same level that what you expect to receive, whether that's sex or some, you know, like a gift or what it, whatever it is, it's putting all of those things on an equal playing field, especially when you know that your partner has to put an effort to even go into that category. Yeah, my my perspective really, it was... It was difficult at the beginning, especially because, like I had mentioned earlier, I saw sex as love, affection, and attraction. And so when I, like, you know, when we would have our, our spurts of, of not having sex or or just like being physical, I saw that as, oh, okay, she doesn't find me attractive. Like, like, what am I doing wrong? Or do I need to, to work out more? Like, w- whatever it was. And
1: when in all reality, I was either on my period or I was having really bad stomach issues.
0: Well, it, honestly, so like this is a whole other conversation, but like anxiety played a huge role in 100%. our sexual life together. My
1: sex drive is a, yeah, as an individual, like 100%. Like, that,
0: that was like a, a whole job situation and and we're in a much better place now. All that to say, because we talked about it and we talked about it consistently over and over again therapist no therapist the key point though is that we were vulnerable with each other and I you know like at times because like you would get so upset with me like asking for sex I got to a point where I was like okay well I'm just not gonna ask anymore or I just like I don't I don't even want this anymore I don't even like desire it anymore and like that was like the complete opposite, opposite. that's that whole all or nothing coming out of me. But what I realized was healthy was recognizing first and foremost what my partner needed. And if she was, you know, whether that anxious or if I felt like we hadn't had any like physical activity or a, a, like attraction to one another in a while, I it took me a while to to get to a point where I could say, Hey, you know, I I really would really love it if like we could, you know, do something together and start it off with, you know, what what can I do first for her and put in the effort there and not expect anything in return, but she would recognize like, oh, I'm putting in this effort in this area. I need to put in effort in this area for for my partner. And so like it's having that it's having that open line of communication, that back and forth and being able to say, "Hey, I feel like I'm, I'm not getting what I need in this area and just having that conversation.
1: I just think, I don't think we can like hammer home enough that like there's no such thing as too much communication. There's just not. And it makes me really sad when I talk to people that are in these relationships where they feel like that there is not, like I am not kidding you. There is nothing in this entire world that I feel like I can't tell you. Mm-hmm. There's not one thing. Same. And like I, you know, people would be like, oh, well, I want my, you know, my significant other to do this in bed or I want them to think more in this kind of way or I want them to be more considerate when it comes to this. I'm like, tell them that like the worst thing someone can say to you is no or I disagree. But like, I'm sorry, you're going to find out very quickly if someone's not willing to compromise to like help you meet your needs, and these, I know we are not just talking about sex here. We're talking about literally everything under the sun. Yeah, like if someone is not willing to compromise, then it's better that you know this earlier on. But oh, like, for sure. it makes my skin crawl thinking that like. There are, I don't care if you've been married for 50 years or you're not even married and you've been dating for six months. If you don't have the kind of relationship where you feel like, I'm not saying it's going to be easy to say anything and everything you want to your partner, but like if you feel like the consequence of you being honest with your partner is just so great that you'd rather just like tuck it down and not communicate this to them, like that makes me really sad. And it's just going to keep happening.
0: It's going to turn into like resentment. 100%. There's
1: going to be more and more issues that you're going to just push down. You guys aren't going to be able to communicate about. And it just, I mean, I, you know, this is a vulnerable podcast and it's important like that people recognize we have communicated our needs in exhaustion at this point to each other of like. I don't have as high of a sex drive as you and you being like, hey, babe, this is what like this is my idea of like a healthy sex life. And like us working towards keeping that, maintaining that Mm. to me communicating to you, hey, babe, it would be really awesome if every once in a while you could clean a toilet in the house. Like, I kid you not, we've talked about everything we possibly can and like you know, we've talked about the chores that we hate and we've tried to accommodate. So like he doesn't like doing laundry and I don't mind it. So I do the laundry, but I don't like vacuuming. So he does it. And like, I don't like to cook. So he does it. But it's like one of those things where if he ever wanted me to just like cook one night, I would expect him to tell me that. And if I ever needed him to do laundry for me one night, I would absolutely tell him that. I think that you know, people can get really in their head sometimes about like, well, I don't want to sound needy or I don't want to do this or that. I don't think communicating your needs makes you needy.
0: No, not at all. We So we've talked about the things that we've done. We, we, we went into exhaustion when it came to our needs in our relationship. But I feel like, you know, we established our line of communication, vulnerability early on in our relationship. So we preached at someone maybe out there listening and they're like yeah I just I just can't so what what do we tell them what do you what do you do if you're in that relationship you know you've you know maybe not married maybe married what do they do what do they do to establish that line of communication
1: I mean I think a lot of the times I would if someone were to be like oh I just can't imagine telling him that I want this to be done to me in bed like let's just use a sex thing because I think a lot of the times people are like well you know I don't know how to communicate my needs in the bedroom. And I think that that's an incredibly important part of a relationship. And like I know a lot of things can be like I think sex is one of those topics that's easy to talk about when it comes to this topic because like there's embarrassment and there's this and there's preferences and there's all the things. Right. And I think that like first you need to ask yourself, why is it you feel like you can't tell your partner like, hey, I want this or I don't like when you do this or whatever the case may be. I would ask yourself, why is it that I feel like I can't tell them? Is it because I'm worried how they're gonna react? Is it because I feel like they won't listen to me? Like, what is the reason? And then I, that is something like the underlying issue as to why you feel like you can't communicate. You need to build off of that. And I hate to say it, but communication is a risk. Absolutely. Being vulnerable is 100% a risk. And relationships would be nothing without risk.
0: Yeah. Just well, it's nothing. Relationships are trust and inherently trusting someone is risk.
1: And am, am I saying that everything you ask of your partner has to be done? Absolutely not. This is not a perfect world where each person who are so different and needs such different things get every little thing that they ask for. Mm. But if it's really something important to you and like it's going to make you a better partner and a better friend and a better whatever, you need to be able to ask for it. Mm-hmm. If you're afraid to... Bring up a certain subject with your partner. Again, that worries me. And I would ask you to ask yourself, why is it that I'm worried about this? Is it because of all the things I already mentioned? And then at that point, it's just you need to evaluate is this a risk I'm willing to take? If not, I don't know if that's your person. And if so, you just got to take the leap and take the risk and bring it up. And if it, you know, if he doesn't or she doesn't respond the way you want them to, I will recommend until the day that I die, there doesn't need to be a problem in order to go to therapy. Therapy can just be a really, really great way for each person to communicate exactly what's going on in their head and exactly what's going on in their own world with a third person to not only mediate, but like push one another with questions and observations And just all the things like I would recommend, especially couples therapy to every couple out there on the planet. And it's not because there's there has to be some huge issue. Like, it's not like, oh, my gosh, we're going to get a divorce if we didn't go to like couples therapy. Like, I don't think we really had that too big of issues. Be like, oh my God, we need couples therapy. It helped, but us. it was a proactive step yeah. that we wanted to take for our relationship, and it has like done amazing things.
0: It's it set us up for success. Is exactly what it did.
1: Here I am getting on another soapbox on another episode. Why are we surprised by this?
0: We're gonna call those segments. Cold soapbox. <laughs> oh
1: my gosh.
0: All right, y'all. Thanks for listening to this episode of Unfiltered Goals. Glad to be back. We love y'all. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you in the next one. Bye. Bye.